trailer one August, because you know August is when all the bears come to eat the soap berries, that it was really heavy bear karma for me. I had, during one week, 11 different bears visit the property. Not 11 bear visits, 11 different bears. Welcome to the End of the Road, a podcast brought to you by the Wrangell Mountain Center and our supporters in Alaska and around the globe. We thank you. I'm Michelle McAfee. And I'm John Erdman, Executive Director of the Wrangell Mountain Center. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to connecting people with wildlands through art, science, and education in Alaska. This podcast series features hand-picked stories from the 2022 Storytelling Festival in Kennecott and McCarthy. Three days of grassroots stories from local and visiting storytellers. This series explores some of the magic of that in-person event from the old hardware store in historic downtown McCarthy and the Glacier View Campground on McCarthy's west side. Everyone loves a good Alaska bear story, and local McCarthy resident Diane Milliard delivers with a series of short stories that speak to the theme, Carnivore Karma. Everyone in McCarthy has bear stories, but for Diane, it's personal. This episode marks a shift from the old hardware store, which was the setting for the stories we shared in our first two podcast episodes of this season. For the first time in the history of McCarthy storytelling, the WMC held an event on McCarthy's West Side. It rained for two weeks before the storytelling festival, and it rained for two months after the storytelling festival. But on that day, on the appointed day, that we were telling stories on the west side as if by divine intervention, the rain stopped, the clouds parted, and the sun beamed down upon our storytellers. And they certainly made the most of it. Exploring this new territory was made possible by our good friends Gina and Nick Merlino, Glacier View Campground, and McCarthy River Tours, who also sponsored the pre-event fundraiser for the WMC. It should be noted that some of the hardiest of the hardy reside on McCarthy's west side, in the flatlands and floodplains of the Kennecott River. A little-known factoid is that the west side's alias is the Ice Bowl, so-called because the area records some of the lowest winter temperatures in the valley. Diane's place is on the south side, not the west side, but she too possesses an alias, the Rambling Ranger, the name of the photography and travel blog where Diane posts images from her far-flung journeys along with stories and reflections. And it's a good thing she has the blog, too, because Diane travels so extensively that it's hard to keep up with the Rambling Ranger. You can find that blog at, you guessed it, ramblingranger.com. It's an easy one to remember. Indeed. And now, here's Diane with Carnivore Karma. All right, I have a little stage fright. I'll get over it. So, a lot of people have told me they think that my totem animal is the bear. I don't particularly agree with that, but I kind of get where they're at, look at the way I'm built, kind of like a bear. Uh, I do have to admit, sometimes in my life, I have had bear karma where I have somehow become a natural attractant to bears. Um, 
Part of that might have been because I was living on the island in the middle of a soapberry patch for quite a few years. Um, but there was one year in particular, one August, because you know August is when all the bears come to eat the soapberries, that it was really heavy bear karma for me. I had, um, during one week, 11 different bears visit the property. Not 11 bear visits. 11 different bears visit the property. There was um, the grizzlies. There was a family of grizzlies, a mama and uh, two teenagers, and I just watched them galloping across the driest flats in the beautiful sunrise light from my bed looking out the window. And the, the grizzlies were no problem at all. They were beautiful. It was one of those moments that you remember why you live here. It was the black bears that tended to be kind of a pain in the ass. Um, there were a lot of them. Different reasons, different ones were annoying. There was this one that seemed like a girl to me, but she was a good bear. She was just out there to eat the soap berries. But she really liked the soap berries right next to the house. So I'd get up in the morning and I need to go to the outhouse and there she was, eight feet away from the porch and I couldn't go to the outhouse and I would bang pots and pans and make a lot of noise and she'd just look up at me like, why do you have to be so annoying? Uh, so she was kind of a pain, but she was a good bear. She was just eating berries. Um, there was another bear that was not such a good bear and part of that might have uh, been my fault. I approached that bear the wrong way. Normally, I'm pretty chill with the bears, and I'm like, hey bear, you probably shouldn't be here, and I just kind of talk to them like they live here, and they're my neighbor, and they're my friend. But I've had a lot of um, people who live here tell me that is not what you should do when you have a black bear coming too close to your property. You should haze that bear, you should yell at that bear, you should throw rocks at that bear, you should be as mean as you can to that bear. Well, this particular bear came onto the property, and when he came on, I had just gone outside because one of the Roland boys was delivering me a, a barrel of gas. And so normally I would be really nice to the bear, but I was a little intimidated because this is one of the Rolands, and I should probably act like a real local and yell at the bear, right? <laughs> so I did. I yelled at the bear. I was just like, get out of my yard, bear, get out! bear charged me. <laughs> he kind of could see through that I was really, truly a coward. I ended up jumping on the back of the Roland's four-wheeler and getting out of there. <laughs> so the next morning, I get up to go to work, and there's that bear, same one. And uh, he's um, not very far away, maybe 70 yards away from the house. Uh, and when he sees me, he starts uh, channeling his aggression to this cottonwood tree and ripping it to shreds. And it's pretty obvious, this is what he's telling me is, this is what I want to do to you. And I don't have any time to deal with this because I'm going to be late for work, so I just jump on my four-wheeler and get out of there. And when I get to um, work, I start telling people, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about this bear in my yard because he didn't go away and he seems rather aggressive towards me. And so the word got out through the typical uh, McCarthy Mucklug telegraph. And uh, my friend Pete came to see me before the end of the day and he said, hey, you know, I've been wanting to harvest a black bear. Would you mind if I came to your property tomorrow and, and took care of this problem bear? And I was like, 
You're going to harvest a bear. Might as well be one that's a problem. Be get it before it gets me. Yeah, sure. Come on down to the property. And the next morning, I left to um, go to work. And there's this cute little yearling bear cub who had uh, just been wandering around the property, eating berries. He was a good bear. And all day, this is before cell phones and things like that, I couldn't text anybody. All day I'm worrying that Pete is gonna kill this cute little bear. And I'm just sick over it all day. I should have never told Pete he could kill a bear in my yard. I never should have told him that. But um, when I saw Pete the next day, he said, I said, he said, yeah, I saw the bear, straight-faced. And I said, um, yeah. And I was waiting for him to tell me that he killed that cute little bear. And he said, I couldn't hurt that little bear. He was too cute. I have to wait for him to grow up. So that was a bad bear, but the story ended up well, and that bear took off. But the bear that was a real pain in the patootie uh, was uh, the crackhead bear. And this bear came up, and this is all in the same week, mind you. Uh, this bear came up, and my, my landlady had just come into town. She was going to stain a bunch of boards inside her shed. And so she started staining the boards, and then she had to go visit people, left town, le left out some of the boards, left out some of the varnish for the boards. And a few hours later, I walk out of the house, and right next to the house, there is this bear lapping up the varnish, just like it was water in a bowl, and he was a dog. And so I yell at him and tell him to get the heck out of there, and he gets out of there. He's kind of a problem bear, but he's not too bad yet. Um, it starts raining. Jem puts all her boards under a tarp. I go to work the next evening when I come home. The tarp is ripped to shreds. The bear liked that varnish so much, he pulled all those boards right out from under the tarp to eat them. And then Jem put them on the house. She left town. Day later, that bear is ripping the boards right off the shed. He liked that varnish so much. And so I had to ask Jen because I was, I just bought my land. I hadn't built anything or even chopped down any trees yet. But I was thinking about what I was going to do when I built my house. And so I, I was like, well, I don't want to use the same stuff she's using on the outside of my house. And so I, I said, Jen. What is that varnish that you were using? Bear. <laughs> that was Diane Milliard, the Rambling Ranger, with Carnivore Karma from the open-air storytelling event held on McCarthy's West Side. And for our next story, we continue on with the theme of big, dominant animals. Yes, we've got more carnivores lined up. <laughs> and for our next story, we return to the old hardware store to hear the very first story from that night. It was quite the memorable moment. Imagine taking your seat in the great room of the old hardware store with about 50 other folks and more people shuffling in at the back in the standing room only section. It's electric. There's an air of anticipation that's palpable, even among the hum of conversational chatter. As is typical, there's a little nervous energy in the room, especially from the storytellers. Yep. Then we begin. 
Of course, everyone is leaning into that first story. And at that precise moment, Mads confidently strolls up to the mic. This is Saturday night, the second night of the storytelling festival. And Mads has just won the storytelling event the night before. Exactly. Not a trace of self-consciousness, and she delivers the perfect opening story. It set the tone for the whole night. Well, let's get to it. Without further ado, here's Mads. So I had the privilege of helping at the door this evening, and it can be intimidating to sign up on a blank piece of paper. So I wrote my name down so that everyone else could sign up after and you didn't have to be first. So this is a true story. Um, It's not one that happened to me. It's one that happened to my father. His name is Carl Volk, um, Carl Volk IV. If I was a boy, I would have been Carl Volk V. They toyed with naming me Carla, um, but my mom said, no, that doesn't, we don't like that. So I got Mads. But this happened to my dad. Um, He grew up in the 80s. He was in college. We're from California. Um, He went to San Francisco State University. um, And he has some crazy stories about the 80s. I wouldn't know because I'm only 24. So I haven't been alive during the 80s. But a lot of that would fly back then would not fly nowadays, right? (laughs) So he studied um, animal science at San Francisco State um, and got a job at the zoo while working there. And he still stayed with his parents, my grandparents, my Oma and Opa. Um, And they paid for his tuition, but he had to supplement for food and paid rent to them and paid for his books and stuff. So he's working at the zoo, um, which is perfect for what his degree was going to be in. Um, He was working mostly custodial at the time. So, you know, kind of cleaning up the animal poo, making sure the animals were fed, giving them fresh water every day. Um, And the main attraction at the San Francisco Zoo was Coco the gorilla. Has anyone ever heard of Coco? Yeah. So what's really special about Coco? Coco's amazing. Yeah, Kogo speaks sign language, American ASL. Um, and gorillas are sentient creatures. They're protected under mammal acts. Um, Coco is one of the like primary reasons why this has been considered to be like they are, you know, capable of intelligent thought. You can teach them sign language, you can communicate with them. Um, so Coco used to live at the San Francisco Zoo and then had since um, around the same time that I grew up in Santa Cruz, um, my dad moving there to have me. And um, after meeting my mom, he, she moved to the Santa Cruz Mountains um, and passed away about two years ago, um, but was on a preserve there, which was a really nice way to end kind of your time. Um, so when she got transferred to the preserve, the zoo was like, most of our revenue comes from Coco the gorilla. Like, this is why people come to the zoo, and you can't just get another gorilla. Like, you're not gonna get a gorilla on a plane and get it at the zoo. So we're like, what do we do? Like, this is why we have groups come, this is why field trips from schools come, is to learn about Coco, to see her, and they were really worried about losing their revenue. So my dad got a promotion. He now dressed up as a gorilla, and and he learned how to speak sign language. And he spent his days from sweeping up the gorilla poo to be to being the gorilla that pooed in the cage. Um, <laughs> And it was going pretty well. He got he got a raise. He was happy. He was happy to not have to do as much cleaning and custodial work. Um, it was like kind of a weird science experiment. And it goes on for a couple months without a hitch. Um, then he describes it. You know, he's in college. He's pretty tall. He describes it as a group of really nasty fifth graders. Um, you know, puberty's hard. So these kids were going through puberty, and they were really mean to him as Coco the gorilla. They were throwing rocks at him in the cage. Um, the rocks kept 
getting bigger and bigger. My dad's kind of dodging them, like signing at them to stop, like saying, please stop, and like doing the gorilla noises. The rocks keep getting bigger and bigger. And he's like, what do I do? Um, Like these kids aren't stopping and he's getting hit by these rocks. Then he's like beating on his chest and like doing the whole gorilla bit. Um, And he's like, well, maybe if I'm a moving target, it'll be harder to hit me. So he starts swinging on one of the vines and he's swinging back and forth and he's swinging higher and higher and the rocks keep coming and they keep coming. And he swings so high that right at the peak of the swing, he lets go and goes flying through the air and lands in the cage next door, which is the lion's cage. (laughs) He tucks and rolls and pops up, does a big gorilla call and sees the lion. All the kids' jaws are dropped at this point. They've stopped throwing rocks, so it did work. Um, (laughs) Sees the lion from across the room in the cage, and he's like, I'm not a real gorilla. I can't fight a lion. What do I do? So he's screaming for help at this point. He's like, help, 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 help me. Like, gave up the gorilla bit. Um, The lion's getting closer and closer to him, pawing the ground, snarling. He's screaming for help, anyone, please. He's about to rip off his gorilla mask as the lion is about an inch from his face. And the lion says, shut up, you're gonna get us all fired. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We remind the listener of one of the most fundamental rules of the storytelling festival, which is that a story can be totally true, completely false, or anywhere in between. The point is to spin a good yarn, and we'll hear yet another story from Mads in the final episode when we air her winning story from the West Side. And that will be episode five, our final episode in this podcast season. But in our next episode, things get a little racy. We chose two tantalizing tales from the West Side from what was dubbed at the time as the Blue Hour. On that mid-August day, as the light began to dim at about, I think it was 9 or 10, something seemed to shift, and the storytellers started in on stories about love, sex, romance, and Los Angeles. Say no more, my friend. (laughs) Nothing more to say. Let's go straight to the teaser clip. Truth be told, this is the story of my unbelievable encounter with a celebrity at a sex shop in Los Angeles. You can go to www.wrangles.org that's wrangles with two L's to listen to more episodes from our End of the Road podcast or find us wherever you find your podcasts. At our website, you can also help support us financially. You can sign up for our monthly e-newsletter and you can check out the programs that we operate here in McCarthy during the summer. And visit our Facebook and Instagram pages to stay up to date on WMC happenings and to get a flavor of the sights and sounds as the ever-changing seasons roll on in the Wrangles. I'm your host, John Erdman, episode writer, producer, and executive director of the Wrangell Mountain Center. And I'm your host, Michelle McAfee, episode writer and audio engineer. Thanks to our supporters far and wide. 
And thank you for joining us at the end of the road. 